0: Make sure you follow us on social media Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And with that, let's continue with your show.
1: Users are the most significant assets of any organization. Without them, no design would thrive and no design would succeed in their endeavors. In fact, there would be no purpose in the organization at all. Simply acquiring new customers though it's not enough. By building trust between the company and its customers, the company provides something of worth, things that the customers value. And to build that trust, a company must acquire a human and a user-centered design approach while designing any product or service. And that's why in this episode, we interact with Rohan Verma, Director of User Experience Design at Urban Company, he pushes for quality and delight throughout the service journey for customers and partners and fuels business growth with impact to bottom line and user centered design. And that's why on our journey of discovering Design hearing, we talk to him about designing customer trust. Hello, Rohan, and welcome to Avantika Designering podcast series. It's a pleasure and honor to host you on our show. It's a pleasure to be here, Rohit. So as an icebreaker, Rohan, one of the leadership lessons you mentioned is if you're not ready to fail for your team's ideas, you will never win on them as well. Can you elaborate? What do you mean by this for our listeners?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, so pretty heavy icebreaker. <laughs> straight went to it. Sure. So, uh, yes, I think I posted this on my LinkedIn as well. And uh, what I mean here is, you know, as a leader, we have to be decisive. So it helps as a leader if you have a series of fail-safe options in your arsenal. You know, things that have worked in the past. But you know, it gets interesting when your team proposes something that's not same as what you were thinking as a fail-safe option. And at that point, you have to ask yourself: Would you rather just not lose alone? or lose together. So high risk, high gain. You may fight and lose another battle together, but that's how you can win the war. No one wins the war alone. So yeah, that's the idea.
1: Super, Well said. In fact, um, uh, couldn't agree to this uh, any less in terms of how uh, teams are absolutely important to the success of any organization. Uh, There is absolutely no uh, doubt on the same so uh moving on uh, from the quote that you had written to uh, you know your professional journey so from your education in visual communication then uh, masters being a research assistant to now leading ux team at urban company how did it all happen can you connect the dots for us uh, looking behind can you can you take us through uh, you know your professional journey till date
2: sure i mean it was uh, really I hope the dots connect. <laughs> I'm still trying. So I started my design career in 2006. And this is when I started my bachelor's. I honestly have no idea what I'm doing. Things are very different today. You know, you have UX design uh, colleges and you have programs that people have. It, back then, it was like, you know, DIY. So I come from a family where everyone's trying to be like, you know, an engineer or a doctor. And I just wanted to rebel. It's funny that I look back and I see that, you know, I actually ended up at IIT. So people often find their destiny on the road they choose to avoid it. It's a saying. I mean, I caught it from Kung Fu Panda, but my career has been three distinct phases. Uh, The lost path of exploration. The second one was, you know, picking few things that I can do well. And the third one, which I'm on right now is the path to mastery. So for the first one, it was like, you know, I come straight out of uh, Bachelors and NIFT. I did my visual communication design and I got my hands dirty with everything, everything. I'm not even kidding. There's an animation show from BBC called Muzzy. If you search it on YouTube, one of the videos is made by me and I'm not even an animator. So it's not good, but I did it whether i did some apps i did games i did branding i even did 3d modeling i worked from small agencies to large businesses there are very few things that i said no to and uh, what was happening is that you know i was learning i was getting things done and i was growing uh doing a lot of things really helps you get what all is there available in you know in this in the realm of design and uh, this really helped me get an edge and i grew from uh, graphic design to uh, visual design and as a visualizer to interaction design where i was very closely working with the strategy by this time i was working at make my trip i was uh, designing the payment gateways and some really critical projects to the business and uh, after that i was working with uh, prop tiger housing conglomerate and you know they were working together and at that point in time there was this thing that just hit me you know I do not know everything there is to know and not just that, I don't have core fundamentals. So I felt this lack of, uh, you know, structure in my thought and that's where I had to take a pause. That took me into my second part of the journey where I decided to do few things well. So this is when I went back to school in IIT. Uh, I did my master's in design. This was a pivotal shift, not just because, you know, of career, but also in the way I thought, uh, the way I was a person. My, There was learning everywhere. You know, it's not just the D school that teaches you a lot, everything around you with the people, the peers, the professors, the assistants, and this environment has this luxury, you know, you can get to study things when they're still. So I have this thing that I keep telling my team when you're working in a company and learning as well. It's like a ball, right? It's just rolling. And, you know, it's rolling. Sometimes it's rolling slow. Sometimes it's rolling fast. And you kind of like, you know, looking at it and learning. But in academia, you have the luxury of that thing being still. So, you know, you can go take a circle around it, experience it, observe it, and then, you know, take your give your brain enough time to learn. So that's exactly what I did. I picked a few, pick few good things like interaction design, user-centered design, research, uh, user research, heuristic evaluation, some things that I genuinely need to have a very strong command on. And I spent the two years really getting to know it. But given that it's IIT, a lot of things I, you know, I did not know, I did not know. So I got to know so many things which really changed the way I look at world today. And then comes the third part of mastery. So now I know everything and there was like, you know, time to execute it. Uh, And uh, I could not have been more wrong. (laughs) It started with a painful journey of realizing that, you know, You have to now study economics to really, really deliver impact. It's not just the knowledge of design. You have to now understand how that knowledge can be applied with the right projects and deliver the right impact. Because impact is what the most important thing in an organization. You have to be able to prove it in practical and not theoretically. And yes, the last three, four years have been this road to mastery and uh, to get more and more people to mastery this is my latest uh role at urban company and in urban company what i'm trying to do is uh i'm trying to put in uh like you know all the effort to do things that were not there when i was growing up like you know as a design student and as a design fresher uh, we did not have a very good idea the managers were still struggling as well so i try to be the leader that i wish i had a couple of years ago
1: wow interesting uh rohan in fact this uh Uh, Very cool way of presenting, um, very different from connecting the dots to actually the journey to mastery. Yep. And I'm still on it. (laughs) (laughs) What you also mentioned during that introduction is your stint with academia. In fact, unlike many design leaders, you have a unique academia experience too, followed by corporate companies. Um, very strange, uh, something that you don't regularly come across, especially in the Indian subcontinent uh, context. So can you um, uh, share with us some of the valuable lessons that you learned throughout that journey of being associated professionally with academia, which has helped you now uh, at Urban Company or or your other professional assignments?
2: That's a uh, very good point. And I think it was very hard. You know, I was uh, working, I was getting a good job and it was just start of a relationship for me as well and I decided you know what I'm gonna stop my job and go study it was a hard call but I had to be really sure what I was doing so I learned this and I would encourage this to everyone when you're in academia really know what you want out of it and when you're in a corporate job you should know what you should get out of it as well so what I recommend or even my biggest learning has been that you can really do well in academia or in your job if you know what is this one sharp thing that you should look at focus at and you know give you a hundred percent and like you know get it out and get impact from that so and top three things that i think go throughout are one of the first one which is a very uh You know, it's hard to say it, but it's a blunt reality and it's going to come like a blunt blade. You actually don't need to know everything about design to do a good job in a company as a designer. I know a lot of people might just make a face listening to this, but it's true. So doing the designer job and becoming the most knowledgeable designer are two different things. So in a company, your knowledge of design with other uh you know knowledge for example your interpersonal skills how you are with others how you are actually be able to complete the project on time and deliver and actually get an impact for the whole company is so much important than how beautiful you know your visual designs are or how nice your motion design can be so that's one of the thing the hardest lessons that you know you just don't need to know about design to do a good designer's job there is a lot more to be done and you don't have to be the best designer to do the best job as a designer The second one, I think, is something that it took me a while to learn. And I think, you know, somebody's mistakes are somebody's benefits. I'll just share it out. Skill and knowledge are not everything. You need courage. Uh, This got really amplified in my current situation. Uh, We are working on things that don't exist yet, right? There is no competitive knowledge. There is no literature. Every morning, there is a problem. And there is no one in the world who has solved it. We can only do enough research to just give us confidence but in the end you know somebody needs to have the courage and as a designer you need to have that courage and just go out and do it and probably a lot of people will thank you because they will have an example but the first person to build something totally new needs courage. So yeah that's I think my second biggest lesson and I think the last one and the third one would be finding your individuality. So one thing that you can bring to the table that is just yours You know, everyone can read hundreds of books about design, about, uh, you know, service, experience. But there is just one thing you have to realize that, you know, you have a particular skill which is so unique to yourself because, you know, you have such a complicated brain with such unique neurons that no one else has. There is this one thing that you do and you realize this not by just reading a book. You realize this in a watershed moment and you should stick with it because that is what makes you the most valuable person in that team. So, yeah, those are the top three things.
1: Wow. Again, beautifully summarized. And I can completely relate to those three points. Uh, also, because I don't come from a uh, design background, but I keep doing these conversations with uh, design leaders like you. And while, um, uh, you know, you were speaking about yourself, there are two other points that I caught up of. One, which is related to the current um, uh, organization that you're associated with. And the second is the world of service design and I'll come down to that. So uh, to to move forward, uh, if if you look at the times now, gone are the days of uh, weekend pampering at the spa. At the same time, work from home has become a new normal. Uh, In fact, one of the most critical aspects of customer experience is trust. And um, I wanted to understand that what are some of the significant steps that urban company has taken from a design perspective to tackle this trust element of uh, a customer?
2: Yep. it it's funny that it seems almost somebody from my team tipped you about this question. So this is a very important subject for us, trust. So trust and safety is so important that recently when the COVID situation happened, we had a SWAT team that like just stopped everything they were doing and they spent like almost like a month-long sprint just to figure out what are the key pain points where we are currently lacking trust and immediately act on them like there was no pod, nothing everybody just got into action that's how important it is to us and uh, you know there are a lot of things we do for example every video that we have on every service you will actually see what are the aspects of uh, you know the caution and the safety that are taken to deliver the trust, and the other one is uh, we have a whole section dedicated to it. But you know I can go on and on, and it gets a bit boring. I'll just take off something which is really interesting of what one of uh, my uh, two of our team members did. So it was a really quirky project when it started. It's called AI Chakidar, and as you know, Chakidar is a guard, right? So uh, in urban company. We used to, we actually for every service you take, the partner that comes deliver the service is actually verified with phase detect for every job. In our business, it's a little more intimate because uh, in uh, Zomato and Swiggy, people just leave it outside and go. So you do not spend the next one hour with that person. For us, it's very important that the right person is delivering the service. So we had this AI phase detect that was working when the person comes to your home and they take a picture and we check it. And if there is a problem, we would just stop their job and, like, you know, uh, just make sure the customer is safe and so that somebody else is not delivering the service. What they did was just analyze. you know, we could just make a very simple tweak and it increases the safety twofold. So what they did was they actually changed. And this is like total just design doing and, uh, you know, just two designers hacking into making it more safer, uh, making it safer for the customers. So they shifted that, uh, the photo click outside, uh, towards outside the house. So now what the partner has to do when they come outside your house before even ringing the bell, they have to do the face check. So if the face check is not secure and if somebody else is there, we don't even let you open the door. So a small thing like this, So each and every, and uh, this is not like leaders coming into action. This is basically our junior designers who have this in the culture that customer trust is so important and this project then like you know just bubbled up and uh, we delivered it and today it's live so we can guarantee that everybody is face checked before they ring the bell so yeah that's one of the examples where it's a part of our culture to constantly think about making this service you know trustworthy
1: Hey, did you know in January 2020, Urban Company rebranded itself from Urban Clap to indicate its vision, which aims to be a horizontal platform with a global footprint. As the company is expanding itself globally, the organization wanted a name that has a universal appeal. About wow, really important pointers, culture, uh, service elements, and and the way you, uh, in 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 fact, the way your team actually goes out and executes. It. So that's that's really beautiful. In fact, which also brings me to my next question, uh, Rohan is, how does the world of human centered design blends with the world of service design? I think that uh, you know you, if you look at it, what
2: let let's look at two of them separately, and then we can have the bridges so let's look at service design so in service design what essentially we're doing is you know there are some components and you know you're connecting them together with a fluid uh, you know like a highway which is really good and if it's not well connected then it's a really broken highway and that's basically what service is so there are people there is infrastructure there is some material and what service is doing is basically connecting all of them so that you know people can complete their tasks so in our case, when you look at our service, we have an infrastructure which is fortunately your own home. We don't you need to go out and create an infrastructure. So we come to your home. Now there is a there is a partner, our professional, that comes to your home. Your home is the infrastructure. You are one of the persons, and the other person is the person who's going to deliver the service, and they have a lot of material or equipment with them. Now how the dance of this equipment it comes gracefully into your living room and you know how things happen and you know the tasks are complete so that your task was to get a haircut and the person's task was to deliver a haircut and all of that you know is revolving around two people it's, it's almost like two spinning tops that are trying to gracefully like you know go around each other and that's how I look at service design so basically it's people, material, infrastructure and the harmony within them Now, and if you look at user-centered design or human-centered design, we are literally thinking of how we can design for each of these individual people in that harmony. So if you say that, you know, I'm going to look at human-centered design for each and every human involved in the service, that's exactly how you do service design. So that's the way we look at it. We look at the Umwelt. It's a German word for the bubble around you. So the Umwelt of the partner and the Umwelt of the person who's taking this service, their worlds come gracefully together for a brief moment, and then they, you know, take, uh, they part ways. And that's why it's very important to know human-centered
1: design to do service design. Interesting. Um, I didn't know the etymology actually started there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Great. So, Ron, moving on to the uh, next question, which is connected here and and blending the technology bit with uh, the same question. The design methodology of human-computer interaction ensures the stability, efficiency, and say the usability of future artifacts. How can we combine the experience of user-centered design in the design process of human-computer interaction?
2: I would encourage uh, you know you and the listeners. Uh whoever it is to actually not create sharp boundaries between both of them. So let's start with human computer interaction. So HCI is one of the uh, most uh, like prevalent themes and it has one of the most established themes. And before user experience design or some of the bigger names that came out, HCI was already established. In fact, uh, one of our professors, uh, Anirudh Joshi from IIT Bombay, uh, leads Uh, India HCI and most of the U.S. designers attended and all of the projects are user-centered design. So my point is you really can't do user-centered design without uh, like you know and uh, human computer interaction without user-centered design. So user-centered design can apply to even uh, tangible non-computer products like hardware like you can design a knife which has no computing power using user-centered design. But user-centered design literally applies to each and every uh, more evolved aspects of design. Now let's come to human-computer interaction. So technology has been one of the biggest drivers of growth, whether it was, uh, you know, industrial revolution or whether it was the world wars, technology has been uh, edge that you know even in economics most of the companies that have delivered a phenomenal performance in this stock have always had technology you know not as a core component also as a part of their like you know one of their competencies as well so tech, that's why like human computer interaction gets really important but where it gets really interesting is now how we apply the methodology which you mentioned is the stability efficiency and usability so when a person is interacting with computers computer is a very different thing than a human. It it works binary. It has very logical way of looking at things where humans have a more emotional and human way of looking at things. So what we really need to understand is to take the best of both the people, the computer and the human, and try to put them together. For example, the computer is really bad at seeing patterns where the human is awesome at that, and the human is not really good at doing repeated mundane tasks. So if we look at, to create a really good human-computer interaction, we should definitely look at user-centered design, and this is what allows us to build good softwares that are usable and user-friendly without making user-centered design we will be going back in the evolution. Today, honestly speaking, we cannot have human-computer interaction that is not user-centered.
1: Wow, interesting. And while we are talking about human-centered, there's there's another uh, thing that I'm curious about is when designing the human-centered way, we barely ever focus on the needs of our natural ecosystems, uh, wants or desires. How should we start working within an environment centered design framework especially with a organization like yours uh, where you are into uh, various sort of uh, product range how do you ensure this environment centered design framework
2: this is a really nice question so it takes me back to my IT days we had a We have to write a paper and, you know, before we actually jump into it, you know, a bunch of sophomores, you don't want to rely on them. So you come up with your topics. And my topic was actually animal computer interaction and which can actually be extrapolated into environment computer interaction. And I had a couple of literature, but, you know, it just faints in comparison to a lot of problems that we have today. And which is slightly sad because, you know, in the typical eighty twenty problem, You know, the 20% gets neglected, which is not the way we should look at some of some of them can be really critical things. Now that brings me to sustainability. Before sustainability, I'll even mention accessibility. I'll ask you how many softwares around you are super accessible, and that's where it all starts. When we start looking at things that are not your 80%, you will start opening this can of worms which needs to be solved and sustainability is definitely one of them when we have a brainstorming, even an urban company there will be two people who will come up and say you know why are we not looking at sustainable design why are our packages Given the COVID, we had to resort to it, but somebody should come back to us now and say, okay, the COVID situation has passed. Can we go back to reusables? When? Somebody has to track that. So that is where it gets really interesting that we have to make sure that we are not stuck with, you know, like blinders to our 80%. There could be part of our minority of the problems that are really critical to our survival. And if we want to leave a better place for our kids and generations to come each and every designer has the responsibility to make sure that they are pushing for it like i mentioned right courage it will require courage to push for these minor aspects of problem solving but if we don't do that very soon it'll become our 80 percent so yes we need to push for it every designer should push for it but it's gonna be hard so we gotta have the courage to do it well
1: that's a that's a very noble thought process and um... Uh, While we talk about designers, um, obviously, we expect them to uh, think in this way, but uh, I'm sure the need of the hour is that most of us as professionals need to start looking at the importance of it, because if you look at the challenges uh, that we have as far as our environment is concerned, uh, things are dramatically changing, and uh, for our next generations, I think we need to Um, ensure that that there's a better world uh, out there for them. So moving from the focus on environment to another interesting element, um, what you do at Urban Company. In fact, um, all these services that we see on Urban Company, that of uh, a beautician, a carpenter, a painter, a lot of these things were available in the, uh, or are available in the offline uh, world. Now. What is interesting is that in the last few years, we see the lines between online and offline worlds blurring every day, and uh, mobile uh, tools, virtual customer services, robust shopping experiences are are ensuring that you know both these worlds come together. Now it's nearly impossible to serve customers without employing digital channels in today's time. How do designers? build a holistic digital customer experience journey in today's world?
2: We should look at it in a way that, you know, what. Uh, why are we doing it? For example, like, why should we do it on an app? Or why should we do it digitally? Let's look at it that we should stop doing it. Let's stop doing it on an app. Then what do we lose? What we lose is the biggest factor of reach and convenience. With uh, physically, you can go out and uh, maybe look at five carpenters and maybe five carpenters have access to uh, 50 odd people in the neighborhood. But when you start doing it in an app, you are now accessible as a carpenter to hundreds and thousands of people inside the city. And the same goes otherwise. If you have to be on an app as a customer, your avenues really grow. You can have, you have access to a much larger pool. So in effect, it is nothing but a really sophisticated matchmaking, right? You have tech is really helping us match, making those matches at a very high volume. Other than that, pretty much all the rituals remain the same. You know, you try to scout, then you decide, the person comes, they do a recon. After the reconnaissance, there is, uh, you know, okay, this is the work, the person is loosely monitoring it. And then, you know, when the work is done, Uh, You know, you try to give them feedback that and then whatever the the, uh, discussion is, you wrap it up and then, you know, there is a nice chat and then you close. The same rituals are going to happen in a digital world as well. So just because the person is doing on an app, it doesn't change a lot. What you can do is make those rituals better. So when a person is coming to your house, generally you go and ask it from someone For example, you're going to talk to your father or your people, your neighbors that, you know, can you recommend an electrician? Because that is a seal of trust. So now how can you digitize it? Because if a person just moved to the city, that's the convenience you're giving them. So they don't need to do that. They can just come on the app and see the reviews. And that's how the mobile app brings them, bringing the data forward for all the people. So one of the rituals get replaced Then the person is coming to your home and what you do you generally ask them for some ids you want to make sure they don't have a criminal record a very naive way of is just asking them do you have a criminal record of course I mean, i really hope people are you know so truthful that they say but you know we do the math as well now that's again digital it's happening on the back end there are services that have made sure this person is good to enter your house and when the person enters the house you know the person wants to do some paints on the wall we can create a catalog now on a catalog on your phone it makes it so easy because the person doesn't have to carry books and books and you don't have to hold 50 kg books you can just swipe through an interactive experience so that is basically the ritual of catalog again that happens on the phone uh, you make the decision now decision making in decision making you talk to so many people you may not have the right experience and you know you want to do maybe take a second opinion so how do you that of course you can build that on an app we can have another painter talk to the customer as a second experience. And that's, again, the same ritual of offline world. And once that is done, your service is happening daily, what do you do? You just uh, imagine you have a person who's cleaning. After the cleaning is done, you want to go to each bathroom and make sure under each and every nail polish is everything clean. Now we can digitize it as well. of our, our cleaning audits. the partners who are cleaning your house require to take photos, sometimes the pot, sometimes it's the drain. They don't know, it's a surprise, it's like a random check. So, again, the same ritual now made digitally. So, what a big bucket of things that we did in the physical world are just now being done better in a digital world, but humans are still doing the same exchange in the service. So, in effect, a lot has changed, but in reality, you can say nothing has changed. So, each and every designer in our team has to go through these rituals, understand how things are done in the real life and then just do it better in the digital and of course there are some things that can be done amazingly in the digital world but these rituals will still exist so that's what we tell our designers don't try to just make new journeys because it's digital you just try to do the journey which they had better in the digital world
1: 2017, Urban Company backed two prestigious awards at one go, not only in India, but on an international platform. They were felicitated at the AB Awards held in Goa and the South Asia Ladi Media and Advertising Awards. Wow, interesting. So, while you've been talking so much about the, the digital world and the process, there's a funny question that I have, uh, you know, uh, as my next one. The virtual assistants are changing the nature of design in fascinating ways. They have names, gender, and refer to themselves as I. They even have a touch of personality. The question that I have is what are the things to consider? when designing the UX for AI-powered virtual assistants? (laughs) This is very
2: close to what I was doing on Microsoft. So, you know, the big three companies, Amazon has Alexa, Google has Google Assistant, Apple has Siri, and Microsoft has Cortana, which is more of a corporate and like, you know, a work assistant. So I was working on Cortana for a while when I was in Microsoft. And uh, yes, This is one of the topics which is so fluid. Every day there is a new discovery. Every day it changes. You know, it's like how babies are. They sleep and wake up as a different person. And that's how working in the virtual assistant world is. You sleep and you wake up and, you know, your AI powered assistant has grown. You have to be pretty dynamic. But when it comes down, you can actually look at some very core fundamental things that they can do and they can do really well. And this is personally my uh, gift which I bring to the table. I have a habit of making things so dumbed down in a way where I can literally tell them with some a story or a metaphor that is just very human to understand. So I'll tell you three things that assistants are super cool at and few things that are super bad at. Just for fun, let's start at things that are super bad at. Predictability. There are people, you know, when I call them people, it's just assuming that they will have a personality because it's very important. There are a lot of books about why they should have personality. But you know, it's very important because you tend to forgive them, your your interaction quality becomes better. But for this conversation, I'll assume they have a personality. So, uh, you know, they are very bad at doing things predictably well. Because, you know, if they do something wrong, like, for example, doctors right now can't use voice assistants because if you say something and if they hear something different and they end up doing something, you know, not in the favor of the person lying on the operation table, things can go really bad. So, you know, that's one of the things. They're really unpredictable. The second thing that they're, you know, really, really bad at is just, you know, they're very, they're not human. So, you know, they can tell you the most horrifying news in the same tone. That's one of the projects that i worked on. But, you know, it's still a work in progress. They can literally tell you your dog died and tell you a joke the next second. They don't have that context. So, yeah, they really suck at being human. Uh, Pardon my uh, words. But, yeah, and let's look at what they're really good at. They're really good at getting things done which are very short. And, you know, repetitive in nature. For example, just turn on lights, turn off lights, change the volume, play Justin Bieber on Spotify. You know, those are simple things that you do again and again. And one second shaved, 10 times a day, it builds on. And, you know, you just really like that convenience. The second thing that's really important when you're designing for assistance is the ability to do things hands-free. You know, voice gestures. Uh, you can actually see there is a really interesting angle that people can actually uh design interaction with assistant using just your gaze so people who have uh, special abilities and you know a lot of people who cannot have the ability to use their voice they can actually just gaze on a screen and talk to the assistant as well so it's really interesting that you know it really makes technology accessible uh, it for a while i can say that you know somebody who doesn't is uh, illiterate and cannot read or write uh, but can speak can still use these assistants. So it's a very enabling thing in that matter. And the third thing they do really well is that they can learn over time and improve. You would be really surprised on the kind of smarts that they do over time. So whenever you're building something as a functionality or as a design, do build these feedback loops because once you start giving them feedback, they will surprise you in many ways because they have an ability to connect patterns. Like how I mentioned humans collect patterns visually. They also now have fairly strong ability to connect to patterns. And if you give them enough feedback, you'll be really happy with the output that they bring to you. For example, how Spotify matches the music or how Netflix give you recommendations. So yeah, those are some really amazing things that they can do. So when you're designing for AI or for virtual assistants, make sure you know you're aware of what they're good at you know some other things and what they're bad at so try to create guardrails or constraints for things that they're bad at and deliver opportunities where they're good at so yeah those should be the number one principles when you look at and that's pretty much for everyone you know anything for that matter whenever you try to make something you can't just create strengths you you should drive on them so yeah, those would be my top uh, principles for designing for AI-powered virtual assistants.
1: In fact, while uh, you were expressing this, I was getting amused and feeling scared at the same time in terms of how uh, this this entire thing uh, looks like. But I'm sure that uh, with design leaders around you um, and the and the way we are actually moving forward, I'm I'm sure that these uh, these uh, systems will be able to deliver. Um, an absolutely uh, better experience, and as we keep moving forward, it will keep becoming more human-like, and and that's what brings me to uh, you know my next question um, on the world of technology. So so today technology has become uh, the core of design industry, uh, but many brands uh, still struggle to process the technology meaningfully. What are some of the technologies? that can revolutionize the design industry according to you?
2: For that question, I'll be very honest. Uh, In design and technology have worked hand in hand and uh, we cannot be uh, blind to the fact that technology will play a very important part in the future of design as well. Why do I say that? Because in design, you have to do things over and over to make them better. We have a concept of iteration and the more you iterate, the better you get. That's what design thinking pushes you to do keep making things better technology really helps us to uh, lower the time taken to deliver one cycle of this iteration uh, we have really good technologies rapid prototyping we have things we can mock up and test before even like you know talking to engineers for development and the more we prototype the more we test the more the faster we do it and you know we'll get better to it. So if you look at some of the best design uh, you know, products that you have around maybe the iPhone 12 that's going to launch soon, it has come over with so many interactions, uh, iterations. Uh, so that's what's going to happen. With technology, things are going to get super easy to improve uh, with faster cycles. And that will really, really drive design, whether it's product design, digital product design
1: or service design. In fact, well said, and it, it will uh, uh, moves us to the conclusion of the podcast where we ask our last question. That at Avantika University, we coined this term called as designering, which is the base of our ideology, uh, where the world of design and technology actually blend together. The question that I have is, what do you think about this philosophy? And does this also help you to create a different experience for? Your users at your work designing. Very interesting. So
2: Disney has a thing called Imagineers. It's a role where uh, you have your engineers, which are in probably doing the most creative things ever imagined. So this is something that has been a uh, Very interesting topic and a lot of people have been constantly thinking on it even when we are uh, building our teams design teams there are always some people who have a very good uh, past in engineering and system design so that you know they can add that flavor to the team as well this is definitely a very good thing to do in the coming time when we have such specialization for example like digital product design having a person that can Prototype, imag- imagine, prototype, and actually build product, take it out into the market, and understands the actual development of the the niche of the actual development and getting things ready will be a really really good idea, and this kind of role can you know kind of really help the person grow in like a majors and a minors that's something i really push for you know people who are joining urban company where you do have a major right you know you if you are a designer you should be able to imagine you should be able to design you should be able to prototype and test and ship of course <laughs> we have to in the end you know uh, run the economics of the unit as well but yeah those are your that's your major what is your minors is it something uh, you know is it ux writing is it visual design is it motion design or is it development so i really look at these people like you know people who are graduating as design engineers, as people who have design as majors and technology as a As it doesn't matter which one is which but it should really help them create that individuality we've talked previously about and they will be a very solid asset to the team in actually getting the fiction of design thoughts to the reality of design products.
1: Wow, that was a very beautiful way of concluding this uh, conversation. This was uh, this this was really exciting. Thank you so much, Rohan, for joining us on this uh, show and uh, sharing your valuable insights with our listeners.
2: It was a pleasure. I hope the listeners find it useful and uh... I will just wish the best to all the listeners and their design journey. And uh, it's a very interesting life ahead of you. So be prepared. Even though it looks like a roller coaster ride, right? the end is going to be really, really fun. So yeah,
0: that's all. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.